episode 26 of Hope Between the Lines. My name is Dan Herod, and as always, it is my joy to be on this journey with you on this very fine day. Hope Between the Lines is a podcast full of great conversations with great people to help you live a great life. So basically, it's audible fuel for your soul. Today, I'm sitting down with my friend Corey Greenwood, and he is going to share his story with us today. So without further ado, here we go. Well, Corey Greenwood, welcome to Hope Between the Lines. Thanks for having me, Dan. I'm excited to be here. Oh, dude, I've been looking forward to this conversation uh, for several reasons. And we'll get to that in a second. But first, I have to know, would you rather go skydiving or scuba diving? Ooh. Uh, you know, I'm terrified of heights. Mm. Um, but I, I feel like I want to go skydiving. Like, it's one of those things that I need to do before I die. But I don't want to just go to like in the middle of a cornfield if I'm going to do it. Cause it's like, for me, I'm terrified. So I, I got to be in the mountains or like somewhere cool. I can't just go out, out to the cornfield where I live and do it. Um, so I think I'll probably go with skydiving. I can't swim. I can't do anything. Like that. I've been terrified. I'm, I don't know. Water and heights are not my thing. So Either one's going to be terrifying. Right. Me, so uh, I couldn't have picked a, a more uh, terrifying set of options for you. Sorry about absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah. I appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> I'm sweating already. It's like... Well, you're welcome. You're welcome. So yeah, I picked, uh, you know, falling through the air at rapid speeds. That's terrifying. <laughs> being underwater 30 feet below the waves, not being able to swim. That's terrifying. No yeah. You know, you know, way to go, Dan Herod, for terrifying. Coming in clutch. Yeah. Wow. Well, this is going to be a great conversation. I can feel it already. Um, so with that said, do you ever find yourself um, thinking about what you're going to do and how you're going to tell that story before you do it? Sometimes, yeah. I mean, we'll get into a little more, but as you know, as you know, I speak for a living. So sometimes I do things just for the story. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just to like, hey, this is really, you know, probably not the smartest thing. But either way, I think I can get a solid story out of this. So it's worth it. You know, if I fall and break my leg, that's going to be a story. If it goes great, that's going to be a story. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I do. I sometimes live a little bit more edgier than I typically would sure. just for the story. I don't know if that's smart or not, but. Well, it is what it is. <laughs> and I know that those are, there are those listening right now who they know you, they love you. They're a big fan and others are listening right now. And this is the first time they've been introduced to who Corey Greenwood is. Why don't you just take a moment and just kind of introduce yourself to everyone listening today. Yeah, so I have been a, a speaker mainly in the school system for five years now. Uh, I speak a lot about suicide prevention, mental health, um, touch on a little bit of bullying. I feel like that all kind of ties into together, just trying to get people to see their value. You know, if people can see their value, they're going to see other people's value too. So um, I think that kind of all ties in. I have a beautiful 10-year-old daughter uh, named Macy. She is the sweetest little girl. 
She makes me look good, even though I don't think I deserve to look that good. But everyone's like, oh, you're doing a good job, Corey. Great job parenting. And I'm just like, hey, like, I'll take a little bit of that. But mostly she just she's a great kid. Um, so, yeah, I, I've been fortunate enough to go to, um, I think, 13 different states in the United in the U.S. so far. Um, I have four new ones this year that I'll be going to. So excited about that. Um, and yeah, just just been a speaker for five years. Uh, the reason I touch a lot on uh, suicide is I did lose my dad um, mm. 11 years ago when I was 19 to, to suicide. Um, so naturally, that's the route in kind of the arena that I ended up speaking in. Um, what, what some people don't know is I wanted to be a speaker since seventh grade, long before I ever knew what I would talk about. I wanted to travel around and, and speak at schools and, and all over. Um, and until I lost my dad, I really didn't know, you know, what I would talk about. We all say, well, I don't have a story to tell and all this and that. And unfortunately, my story isn't one that anybody wants to live. Um, but now I get to share that story and, and be hope for somebody. Yeah, absolutely. And it's oftentimes uh, those stories that no one wants to live that, connect with people the most when they when they hear about them because sometimes in your audiences there are going to be those that have been impacted by the reach of suicide and then there are going to be those who can't fathom it and for whatever reason a message reaches a mind but a story reaches a soul and your story reaches straight to the heart of every human being within the sound of your voice and I've been able to hear you share your story and I have been moved by the vulnerability and then the sheer power of the hope that is present in your voice because you don't uh, commit the sin of speaking that I've I've heard other speakers do where their whole goal is just to get the room in a pile of tears by the end of the talk you know what I'm talking about yeah yeah absolutely and thankfully, um, there's always a better way, right? And I've been so encouraged when I see you take the better way in meeting the room and leading the room. I appreciate hope. that. Oh, yeah. well, it's the truth. And I just think that's one of the things I appreciate about you. Uh, and you don't have this sense of, well, I'm not a good speaker. If three-fourths of the room isn't in tears <laughs> by the end of my talk. Uh, yeah. that's, that's just not a, a great metric at all. Absolutely. What I get the sense when I hear you communicate is I want to connect to the heart of everybody. And I want to, to remind that heart that there's hope and they don't have to make that final choice that you can't undo and reach for that, that method of, of giving up on the hope of life. And if they have been touched by a loved one who has given up on the hope of life, uh, there, there's hope, right? Absolutely. And I've, I've never tried to be the best quote unquote speaker. Um, I know I'm not fantastic with words, but like you said, I just really try to create a moment for them. They might not remember anything I say, but that moment might stick with them. That feeling might stick with them. And that, that's just, that's all I try to create is just a little moment um, that maybe I mean, speaker came to my school when I was in seventh grade, and I still remember feeling that moment. And I'm 29 years old. That's 
that's almost 20 years later. And I, you know, I would be fortunate if, if somebody could, would look back one day and say, you know what, some guy came to my school. I don't even remember his name. I remember what he looked like. I don't remember what he said, but I remember I felt something that day. That, that, that'd be the ultimate honor for me. Mm -hmm. Well, I think given the nature of our digital dependency as a culture, like we are so dependent on digital devices and we're so saturated with content, you know, videos and just streaming into our eyeballs that now more than ever, maybe more than ever, um, those live experiences, those shared moments in the same room where everyone is seeing the same thing at the same time. I think there's an extra power now in live experiences. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can feel it. It's, it's, there's one thing to sit, you know, like we are on a, on a computer screen and I know you and, and it's great. But when we, if we were sitting in the same room, there would just be a different energy. Uh, and that's, and then you get two, three, four, a thousand, 400,000 people, you know, in a room and that energy, it just people build off of each other. And I think that's what we need to get back to. I mean, obviously the pandemic caused us to have to, to be socially distanced and stuff like that. But even before that, we, we were moving towards that. Like you said, everybody's on a screen. Um, I heard a song the other day. I'm going to butcher the words, but it basically said, I have so many friends, but they're all on a screen. Nobody really knows who I am, but they all think they do. Um, and I was like, dang, that I, you know, again, those aren't the, the exact words, but I was like, dang, that's so true for our generation. Like everybody has so many friends. I mean, I have not that many, but I have 2000 Instagram followers, but I, I mean, I don't have 2000 people who know who, who I really am on a day-to-day -day basis. And I don't think we need that, but we put so much pressure on how many people can we get in our circle instead of, uh, you know, what relationships can we foster today and what, how deep can we go? I agree with you a hundred percent. I think we have been a bit misled by the platforms that call themselves social media, because we think when someone follows us on Instagram or finds us on the Facebook that all of a sudden they're going to see everything that we post. Yep. And the sobering reality is that we don't talk to people when we share a picture or share a post on a platform. We talk to an algorithm who then decides who gets to see what we said. And yep. the decision is purely monetary because that algorithm is designed to keep your and my eyeballs staring at the glowing rectangles in our hands <laughs> yep. for as many seconds as possible for each 24 hour cycle of our lives. And if we could step back and just understand when we post something, we're not talking to people. We're yeah. talking to an algorithm that serves a corporation that has goals to make money off of you and me. And it is far more effective to actually text a person in real life. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. What are you I mean, seeing as you are going into schools, you're serving administrators and principals with your story? What are you seeing as you are moving forward through the pandemic? Um, I see hunger. I mean, I've been fortunate enough to be in a few schools, even last year during the pandemic, um, administrators were just like, you know, we have to do something. Um, kids were in school, but nobody was really doing live events or anything. And I was fortunate. There were smaller schools, so we could spread out. We were safe and everything like that. But it was just a different experience, Dan. Like these kids, you know, normally you have to try pretty hard to win over a group of middle school, high schoolers, right? They don't want to be there usually, but it just seemed different. Like they mm -hmm. wanted to be there. They were glad that somebody took the time to come see them, to come talk to them. And you have moments like that outside of the pandemic. Absolutely. But it just seems like it's a higher percentage now um, where people are like, hey, thanks for coming. Like, and to the principal, thanks for doing this. I know this was a risk for you to put on. And it was a lot of work with all the guidelines and we had to do double side bleachers when we never do and spread people out. And, you know, it, it just, they, the assembly programs that I've done have been so powerful, like beyond anything I've done before. And it's just so cool. Um, but I do sense, you know, that there is a sense of desperation from some of these kids. They, the only thing that they've had is their phone and, 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 you know, that that's not healthy. Um, so, you know, some of them have become so connected and used to TikTok and social media that when they get in a room for, full of people, they almost forgot how, how to do that. Um, so getting back used to that, getting used to someone giving you a pat on the back or bumping into you in the hallway you know, these are all things that we never thought we'd have to relearn, but um, we kind of had to. Yeah, if you think back when you and I this past summer went to a training session and there's a gentleman by the name of Dr. Scott Braden who just shared some thoughts. He was talking to a room full of people who are passionate about students, room full of people who they travel the nation and they do exactly what you do. And they encourage students and they come alongside of educators. And I remember a stat that he shared with us that I didn't believe, but I trusted him, is that the average teenager in America only gets 35 minutes of face-to-face -face conversation with their parents each week. That's, that's crazy. It Five blows your mind, yeah. minutes a day. A day, yeah. And you think about the power of a mom or a dad in the life of a child. And we can even push it out further. The power of a caring adult for sure, who, who is living with a student. When a student looks into the eyes of a caring adult who is there for them, who fights for them, who laughs with them, who cries with them, that is hope in real time. And absolutely. I was absolutely blown away by the fact that so many American teenagers right now only get five minutes of day of actual face-to-face -face conversation with a loving adult in their life.
it's crazy. Um, I think that's one thing, though, one positive piece of hope that came from the pandemic is I think people were home more. They were forced to slow down and look at each other. That's all you had to do, Dan. You didn't, you couldn't really do anything else. Yeah, you could yeah. stare at your screen, but when you're doing that for 15 months straight, it's it does get a little uh boring. So I think the pandemic did force families to to look at each other and get to know their own family members. Um, you know, because we do, we get so busy. You know, we're chasing the American dream. We got to pay our bills. We got to do this and we got to do that and sports and everything. Well, we didn't have any of that. We're working from home. So that's one thing that I've seen and heard. Um, Now, there's the flip side of the coin. There's always the flip side of the coin. Absolutely. Um, But for the most part, I think some relationships were were formed and people were able to spend more time together because you didn't have anything else to do. Yeah, I think pain always creates opportunity for a change in perspective. And some people throughout the pandemic embraced that opportunity and did exactly what you just said. They reassessed their priorities. They maybe took inventory of, man, I'm not spending enough time with my own family and I need to do more of that. And that's what I love about, um, you know, the reality of God in my life is just, he doesn't waste anything for sure. And it's through faith in him that unlocks the door to good things through bad things. Not that he causes the bad things, but he sure redeems the bad things. And I want to, if you, if you're comfortable with this, Corey, Losing your dad um, had to have been tough. It was at nineteen. Yeah, yeah at nineteen years of age, um, having to say goodbye to your dad. And I've heard you share your story, and I was just turned inside out emotionally over the details and the facts of it. And how did you make it through? Um, well, I mean, like you, um, talked about a little bit, um, my faith is really, that's what caused, you know, kept me going day in and day out is, you know, I, my mom, she's strong, strong, strong Christian believer. And I grew up and it was annoying and everything, but I grew up waking up to her singing praise and worship and, praying out loud and you know is it, it, it was the worst thing ever as a kid but but those are the moments where it, it sunk into me um i didn't always live that life and i still struggle to this day you know i'm not gonna sit here and pretend like i'm perfect but um those seeds were planted in me that when something so hard like this hit me um that's really all i had um but then in the day to day i mean that's what kept me that's what kept me breathing. Mm. Um, but the day to day, um, I had a daughter 10 days after my dad, I lost my dad. Um, Macy was born 10 days after my dad died. Um, 
So the first day I went back to work after the death of my dad, my girlfriend at the time went into labor. Um, so it was a whirlwind of a season. Um, and I was still numb, man. I, I, sometimes I have guilt sometimes about like, man, I didn't even really enjoy that process of my daughter being born. And it's not, maybe enjoy is not the right word. Cause I absolutely did. And it's just, I was numb from everything going on, you know, really hadn't soaked in what had all happened. I mean, we buried my dad on my brother's, my younger brother's 18th birthday. Um, just, you know, a lot of stuff going on. Um, I was dealing with panic attacks, anxiety attacks at the time. Um, so it was just a crazy time. But even though, you know, I made a lot of mistakes as a young parent um, and didn't always handle the grief the best. Um, be having somebody that needed me, you know, forced me to keep living. I mean, even on the days when, when I didn't want to get out of bed and I, I, like I said, I wasn't always the best parent and I wasn't always emotionally available because I didn't set myself up to grieve properly. You know, it took me about two years to really look myself in, you know, in the eyes, in the mirror and really start the grieving process, you know, healthily. Um, so, but Macy, she gave me something. She gave me someone that needed me that, you know what, today might stink. Today might be terrible. I might, you know, not want to live. I might not want to do anything, but Hey, she needs her diaper changed and you need to do it. And yeah, so I, I look in, you know, now I said, she's just a great, great kid. And, but like, when I look at her, I see all those moments, mm. you know, I see the 10 year old girl she is now, but I see the pain that, that we all went through. I see how she brought purpose to, to my mom's life, to my family. And, and she really was our little, like our little savior. Um, the crazy thing is, Dan, is she was due. She was born on January 15th. She was due on January 27th, which is my dad's birthday. Um, so just crazy, crazy coincidences. She was born on the day that my grandpa, my dad's dad was flying back home after coming up for the funeral. So he actually got to see her. Otherwise, he wouldn't be he wouldn't be back up here for probably a year. Um, family was all here from out of state, you know, obviously for not for, you know, my dad's funeral and everything. Um, but it just worked out because we have those pictures, you know, with, with my grandpa and which we wouldn't have had. Um, so there's just a lot of nuances. Um, it was hard. I'm not going to tell anybody on here that like, I just looked in the mirror and, you know, told myself every day that you're a winner and you know, everything was great. Like, no, it sucked. Um, but like you said, God, not only doesn't waste our stories, he uses it in extraordinary ways. Come on. Um, that's the cool thing about God. He doesn't only say, Hey, I'm not going to throw this in the trash. He says, no, I'm going to, I'm going to polish this thing up. I'm going to send you all over the world. 
you're going to look in the eyes of people that you would never meet if this didn't happen. And Dan, I, I was at a school in, I'm not going to say what state just to protect the student, but uh, an eighth grade student had a suicide note in their pocket, had the plan in their pocket after the program. They went to the counselor and asked for help. The parents had no idea. The teachers had no idea. It was somebody who you would never think of. And I would never be able to have the honor of being a part of that person's story if I didn't have to live through the horror of mine. Mm. Yeah, I know that our, our journeys are definitely different and our, our losses are, are different. But I, I'm resonating with your thoughts on in the wake of your loss, you're just numb. Because yeah. after we lost our daughter, and it'll be 10 years this fall. I went through a, a pretty long stretch where I just, I was numb. Yeah. And I, I medicated by, by going back to work. Like I, I just poured my whole self into work. Cause if I, if I was moving, I, I didn't have to feel the pain. If I was working, I didn't have to think about what, what, what we've lost and who we've lost. I didn't have to, to grieve. And it was years like you, it was years before I could finally slow down and grieve and feel the gravity of the loss. And um, I'm so encouraged by the perspective that you're living with right now, because you're, you found a purpose in your pain. For sure. And I think for everyone listening today, that's the key for walking through difficulty is remembering a purpose 100 re remembering your purpose because the moment you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you matter you're supposed to be here you've got a job to do and the moment those facts start to fall into place in in your mind is the moment you find power and it doesn't make the pain any less, but it does make a person stronger in their pain. Um, I'm really, I'm, I'm celebrating that eighth grade students' salvation, not in a spiritual sense, but they were rescued that day in that program because you were able to share your story. They felt somebody was there for them and they trusted the school system enough to say, help me. Absolutely. So they went from the edge of impending catastrophe and disaster for that family and that school to now to the, to the edge of life. And they want to live now. That's beautiful, Corey. That, that is so beautiful. That's really all you can ask for. I mean, I, as speakers, you know, we don't, we don't change people's lives. We, we give them the tools for them to change. Uh, we might give them a little boost, but they're the only ones that can change um, and make those positive steps. So to be a small part, you know, for that student to have the courage to do that and then for the school to handle it just the way they did it, you know, the parent was embarrassed as some, you know, just like, oh, my gosh, I missed it. I'm a bad parent. The principal, he unfortunately is in the same club that I'm in, lost his daughter. Um, he just looked at her and he said, 
there's nothing to be embarrassed about. Just, just love your daughter. Like, or, and that's what it's about. Like, let's move forward in a positive way. You know, we all miss things. We all can blame ourselves for things that happen that didn't happen. And, you know, sometimes we need to own up to certain things, but a lot of times we just need to let it go and say, you know, how can we, how can we make this situation a positive one? How do we right the ship? You know, when you're in the middle of the ocean, you don't care about what you did 10 minutes ago when you're facing a wave, you just need to get that ship righted. Yeah. And that's how we got to live life. Right. And there might be some listening today who actually are hearing you say, get over it. And I don't think that's what you're saying. No, um, what? No, get through it. There no, you go. Work through it. Um, feel the pain, feel the situation, put it in its place and move through it. Like I tell my students, you know, at the end of my programs, I say, what's one thing that you can let go of today? Um, and, I, and then I clarify with this. I say, I didn't say what's one thing that you can erase from your memory. What's one thing you can pretend that didn't happen? What's one thing that when you write it down on this piece of paper, it's not going to hurt again. It hurt ever again. No, the pain's still going to be there. The, the memory's still going to be there. But what's one positive step forward you can take into getting healing, into making healthy choices, choices and to redeeming that situation for hope? And that, that's what it's all about. You know, like I said, I'm not the best with my words. Um, sometimes, you know, I say, get over it when I mean something else, but that's what I mean is, is, Hey, we're going to feel the pain. I still, I mean, you're coming up on your daughter's 10 year anniversary. I had my dad's last year Mm. and I wrote a letter, um, to him and, and man, I, I felt that pain Dan, And I've seen you share your story in and still feel the pain nine years later. Um, and that's real. But the difference is, I think we can speak for each other, is that that pain doesn't control us. Right? You're, you're making a positive impact. You've wrote books. You've, you've helped so many people who have gone through your situation. You've, helped, you've given them tools to make it through. You know, I've been fortunate enough to do that. And, and that's the goal. It's not, it's not to bury, bury the moment and bury the pain. Um, it's to feel it and then use it. Yeah, that's really well said. And that one thing I love about the gospel is that it gives me power so that when I'm hurting, I have pain, but my pain does not have me. Absolutely. It puts me in the driver's seat. It doesn't mean the road's not bumpy. It doesn't mean there aren't tornado force winds whipping across the hood of my car sometimes. It doesn't mean there are trees falling all around me. That's not what that means. But the gospel of Jesus Christ gives me power so that when life gets sideways on me, I have pain, but my pain does not have me. 100%. And, and the only way that was made possible is because our Savior in literally absorbed 
pain for us on the cross. Yeah. A physical death, a spiritual death, uh, and even an emotional death being rejected yeah. by those yeah. who love him. And so I, I love what you're doing with your story, Corey, because thousands of students' lives all over this nation have been encouraged, equipped, and uh, reminded that there's always hope. That's just beautiful. Uh, I appreciate that. Yeah, oh, quick question ahead. for you. Who are you proud of today? You know, um, I'm just really proud of my family. Um, we haven't always done it the right way. Um, but we're doing it. Um, my mom has been through so much and she still seeks the Lord. She still wakes up. She's still waking up, you know, crying out to God in the morning. Hmm. Um, my older brother, you know, he's taken on so, so much since my dad passed and, um, I was able to be the best man in his wedding in May and he's married now and just just yeah i mean like i said we haven't always done it the right way but but we're still together we still we still call each other we still love each other now we we've grieved in total opposite ways i'm the only one going out publicly sharing my story every single day they've grieved differently privately and that's okay um, but 11 years, almost 11 years later, we're still a family. And I think that's got to say something. Absolutely. It does. Yeah. I appreciate the way that you highlighted how your family is grieving differently because I've noticed that when people honor the differences of others in their pain you it's your brother and your mom for me it's it's my wife it's my in-laws it's my family my mom or my dad um it's it's honoring the differences in the way that we all respond to pain yeah and there's such a beautiful health that can take place when you're not trying to project your your way of grieving onto other people and you allow them to be who they are and they allow you to be who you are and it's all good it's all good yeah even though it's sometimes quite different absolutely and i think that just reminds us how different people are um i said i say this in my program you know all of our stories are different but the pain feels the same Hmm. right your worst day is your worst day no matter if it's you know on a scale of whatever you know you know your worst day is your worst day that's the worst pain you've ever felt um so i think that's another thing is acknowledging that is pain is it, it's it's relative you know so we can't judge our pain and say, well, my pain's worse than yours. You know, well, you only went through this. I went through this. Like, no, 
that person's worst pain is their worst pain. So if they need to grieve, they need to grieve. And, you know, let's, let's work through it together. Let's support each other, not tear each other down. And, you know, some days I need to be looked in the eye and say, Hey, Corey, like, let's get it together a little bit, you know? Um, and I think that that's one thing I would leave with everybody is surround yourself with people who love you, who care for you and will tell you not what you think you want to hear, but what you need to hear. That's good. Um, those are the real people that love you. Hmm. Wow. Uh, that's sage wisdom right there, Corey. And <laughs> I think that's an incredible place to, to wrap up this conversation. Uh, I can't thank you enough for your time today, Corey. Just in the past few minutes, I know I've been enriched by the thoughts that you shared. Uh, but more than that, I knew you before we started talking today. <laughs> yeah. You and I have spent time working together and reaching students together. And so I'm just so encouraged because you're, you're living a consistent journey and you're just, you're giving what you've got so that other people can get what they need. It's just awesome, man. So Corey, thank you so much for being a guest today on Hope Between the Lines. Thanks for having me, Dan. Appreciate you. Love you, man. See ya. And there you have it. We have come to the end of the line on today's episode of Hope Between the Lines. I just want to encourage you today in one of two ways. First, if you have been impacted like Corey has by this subject, which is very weighty and quite powerful, and you're needing support and you're needing to journey with someone through your specific loss at the hands of another individual, please uh, don't wait to reach out for that support. Reach out to a counselor reach out to a mental health professional, reach out to a support system that can help you get through some pretty tough stuff because you were never designed to go through it alone. And secondly, today if you find yourself in a spot where you are uh, struggling to see the, the purpose of it all, I'm also going to ask you to reach out for help and to, to do it today, to reach out to a mental health professional, to reach out to a counselor, to reach out for help because uh, my friend Eric Samuel Tim says it this way, the first step to drowning is being alone, but the first step to rescue is being heard. And so I want to encourage you today, if you find yourself in that spot where um, it's just, you know where you're at and you know that it's not a great place, please reach out for help and do it today. Don't wait, do it right now. I am so thankful for you uh, for taking this journey with me today. Thank you for making the time to listen to this pretty powerful conversation with Corey. I want to encourage you to check out his website. I'll make sure I'll leave that in the show notes for you. As always, it's a privilege to be a part of your journey. Let's keep living a great life. Hey.